No matter in life what you try to do, you're dead too. Hello, and welcome to You're Dead Too, the podcast about our shared inevitable demise. I am your host, John Toyson, and joining me again this week on the program is nobody. I'm continuing my deep dive into consciousness and death and what that means, how it works, what it uh, means for everybody and everything. And this week is no exception. Holidays be damned. I wanted to continue digging into this to figure out more of why I am uh, obsessed and relentless with this. So um, before I get too far ahead of myself, uh, as always, I want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time to download and figure out... uh, whether or not this is of your interest. If you've got feedback, questions, comments, thoughts, concerns, please send them to yourdead2 at gmail.com, Y-O-U-R-E-D-E-A-D-T-O-O at gmail.com. You can reach out on uh, Twitter or Instagram, yourdead2, available to uh, fire back should the need rise. But again, thank you for uh, taking the time to listen, especially during the holidays if you're listening relatively close to posting because this is going up between Christmas and New Year's. Not exactly the most uh, thematically appropriate thing, but uh, I thought I would just continue on because the internet is a vacuum. So I'm just sending this out there to the world at large. But uh, it w- was really remarkable to get through the uh, initial round of the holiday season here with um, about as clear of a head as I could have had. Uh, I've lately not been drinking, which is strange. Um, and especially with the holidays, it's been an unusual thing. So I'm not really sure what, you know, the cause and effect of it is, but it's kind of nice to not be doing it. And (laughs) it's been a real interesting way to go through all the madness of, you know, seeing people, seeing family, prepping and cooking and, you know, cleaning and wrapping presents and doing all this stuff. And, uh, you know, seeing how, All of this plays out without some convenient comfort mechanisms and coping mechanisms in place. Uh, It's definitely been hard to pivot back to the subject matter at hand just because in the midst of America, you know, in the heartland, in Western culture here, it's really... And I don't mean this as a dig to anybody or a pejorative to make... Uh, you know, making others feel bad to make myself feel better. It's just, it's kind of an inherent nature of the beast is that it's just, it's very, um, I don't know, earthly, if that sounds at all accurate. I mean, maybe it's not, and I'm just having a particularly isolated experience with it, but it's a lot about stuff, which is kind of a bummer. Um, You know, that's my wife and I and my daughter, we just kind of do a very reasonable you know, gift exchange of, you know, try to figure out what the person wants and get that for the person and, you know, give my daughter some toys and some Play-Doh and stuff and have it be a very nice time. But like just all of the shopping and all of the, you know, the, uh, the lights and like all of the stuff, the physical trappings of it, it's just, it's this weird, intense, um, not distraction, but like, it just is so, it feels really, really focused on the earthly side of it, of just, like, not thinking of anything kind of beyond, I don't know, maybe that's just really betraying my own lack of uh, religion that I approach it with. Uh, Again, I was raised in uh, a fairly Christian household where we went to church Christmas Eve and, uh, you know, year-round, 
Um, so I'm well versed in the story of the you know birth of Jesus and the star and the wise men, like the whole kind of pop culture trapping of it. But then the entire you know Christian New Testament aspect of it. My dad would um, typically read the the Bible story out of that particular, or you know the 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 uh, pilgrimage to Bethlehem or to basically he would read from the Bible on Christmas Eve as kind of just a tradition. And, uh, it's really only in one of the gospels. Um, and so I've, I've had plenty of actual factual exposure to the nuts and bolts of the Christianity of it, but it just, I'm secular, I think is the word that I've just been trying to get to that just, it, it's really, um, yeah, there's kind of a madcap joy in the pop culture aspect of it, of like, you know, Christmas movies and all this stuff, but like, it just, it's a weird holiday if you let it get too far from religious purposes. I don't know. I'll get off my high horse. New Year's is right around the corner, and that's way more fun just to <laughs> just to have uh, the numbers flip over on the calendar. I don't want to be a downer at all. It's, Christmas is great, and I love spending time with my family, so it's been really fun to have uh, kind of circle the wagons and just spend time inside and make lots of good food, and I am just fully gorging on uh, sweets. I'm going gung ho on a cookie bender, and it's been amazing. Like I picked the worst time to get down to a low uh, daily intake of coffee. Like I should have just really upped it and gotten up to like eight cups of coffee a day, so I could just keep eating sweets and then just power through a sugar crash. Because, who dog, I am having many, many, many cookies. So, but uh, the way I got onto this, you know kind of what I wanted to talk about today with consciousness and death was that, uh, <laughs> like anybody else, I have my moments of escape where I, uh, you know, just quietly pull out my phone and just kind of start surfing Reddit and just casually like, uh, nope, I'm disengaging from the social gathering right now and just kind of getting out of it and um, was struck by the, uh, I think it was on... I'm trying to think of what subreddit it was that even had it. If it was, I honestly can't remember if it was like morbidly fascinating or damn that's interesting or, you know, some like, <laughs> I don't remember how much of a bummer the actual subreddit was, but the idea that um, it was a picture of the human nervous system and it was just, and it could have been from one of the uh, life works, uh, yeah, plasticine of the human body kind of a thing where it's just the brain and the eyes and the brain stem and the spinal column and all of the nerve and the uh, the neural spinial things going out and how that looks so spindly and kind of terrifying, uh, isolated from the rest of the body, you know, without context. It's this really jarring, unnerving, no pun intended, monster-looking thing that when you isolate that aspect of the system, it gives you this entirely different view of what the human body is and how it works and it just is kind of an oh shit moment where you think huh that's yeah that is I mean that's kind of the the functioning system of the input output of a lot of what's uh, what kind of all of it that's going on you know because the nerves embed within the skin and the the muscle tissue and that's how where you get all the physical sensation and then uh you know temperature differentiation and it's 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 a noodle baker like i always say it's it's wild stuff where you just think all right that's i guess that is really all it boils down to in a certain sense so 
that was kind of a kickoff point for me to figure out what I wanted to talk about today for consciousness and death. But uh, without getting too far down the rabbit hole, uh, let's just use that as the segue point to dive in. Okay, so consciousness and death. What am I talking about with the human nervous system? Um, the the fact of the matter is, it's a kind of a magic trick. I mean, not in a like obfuscation of the truth, but just it's this thing that we can't inherently understand because it's us trying to understand our very own selves, which. It gets into kind of hoity-toity, you know, snake-eating-its-own-tail, me-thinking-very-highly-of-the-way-I-describe-things aspect of what is it that we're trying to do here. Like, it was a really funny concept when I first heard the idea that the brain is the name that the brain gave to itself. Like, it's this bit of goo in your head that uh, found another one and said, I'm going to call that this, which is what I am. Uh, it's a really horrifying thing. <laughs> I've talked in the past about how it's just this lump of the brain is just this lump of goo in our skull that mixed with some saline and a bit of a an electrical current and some oxygenated blood gives rise to just this incredibly bizarre phenomenon that we really don't have a handle on how to explain it. Um if you want, look up that picture I was describing. There's any permutation of the word central nervous system, uh, you'll be able to find a horrifying. It, it's it's genuinely it's upsetting. Like it, it's jarring. You're not supposed to see the nervous system isolated from the rest of the body like that, let alone laid out on a table. It's horrifying. But uh, this, for me, stems back to when I was in my earliest uh, <laughs> my earliest forays into philosophy and figuring out what I thought I knew and what I was going off of assumptions on. And it was really kind of a glass-shattering moment when I understood finally, oh, oh, we don't know anything like I think we do. Like we have such a healthy scientific body of knowledge of, you know, the human genome and what DNA is and how the double helix strand works and how... Uh, chromosomes and inherited traits and like all of the nuance of so much of the supposed magic of humanity and yet the brain is just this black box that we don't know how it works and there are things that we definitely understand about it yes I can make that concession that we understand input and output but it's for those that don't know, you know, if I'm getting the cart in front of the horse here, black box meaning we just, we don't know what happens within the confines of this particular set. And then we have some understanding of the input of, you know, stimulus or interaction. And then the output, you know, the, the reaction or the consequence or what the body does to react to it. But we just, we don't know exactly what is happening. It's that one-to-one -one ratio of exact specific neurochemical process firing and how that changes your conscious experience in and of itself because how do you measure this thing that is inherently 
just this intangible ephemeral thing seemingly behind your eyes. Uh, but again, is that just based on the fact that your eyes are located where they are? Like, I, I want to see how consciousness is different for people who have really, really close together eyes versus people whose eyes are practically by their ears. They're so far apart. Everybody's got this different experience, but it just is inherently damn near impossible to understand how it works. And yet there's something so... I just assumedly pedestrian about it just because you live in it and it becomes second nature because it's all you know. And I don't know, maybe this is just some navel-gazing philosophical bullshit that I just don't have an outlet for in my daily waking life. But this is, for me, like why I'm obsessed with this stuff in the first place. So the the where the rubber meets the road here and why I feel like this pertains to death is that if it is this black box... Uh, there's a couple of different things that I've come across in um, various media about how this affects our understanding of consciousness and death and life and the states between. So the long and short of it for <laughs> the states of consciousness, if I want to be super simplistic about this, are conscious and awake, uh, unconscious, and dead, right? I mean, those are kind of the basic ideas of what there is. There's also a coma, which is not basically sleeping like I've had always kind of assumed it was from a, again, pop culture simplicity standpoint. Um, there are... Think about how... It always weirds me out to think about a blackout from... This is unrelated to my own drinking, but like you know, hard partying days in college, if you just hit that point of, like, you're awake and alert and conscious and walking around and doing stuff and talking to people at a party, but you have no recollection of it, that is just always really spooky to me because you're just, you're, like, a kind of a zombie, basically, of, like, you're going through all of the motions of doing everything, but you're not retaining any of the memory. It's this, it's just blowing right past the memory filter and just going out the window, you know? But... Your conscious experience is this thing that we all go through in our daily life and we we experience it and we understand it and we have an idea of it. Sleeping is, you know, you, <laughs> you close your eyes and you shut down. It's not like a switch flicks and you go into this other state, but you're, you know, your, your mind goes into a different rhythm of controlling things. And I've talked about this in previous episodes of like the default neural system of you know, what it looks like to meditate and what it looks like to not have all of your typical input going, like different brain waves trigger and different sine waves are going through your head. And it just, it's not as simple as like flicking from one static state to another. It's this, sounds really stupid to have to say, but it's this, it's this fluid, uh, continuous organism that's alive and going through different permutations. And so we don't really know why we sleep per se beyond the simplicity of we get tired. You know, it's there's a number of uh, prevailing theories on it at the moment, but uh, science has suggested there's a buildup of 
uh, fatigue and certain neurochemicals that your body has to basically kind of press reset and wash away the static buildup of thoughts and information that you have to process throughout the day. Like it's, we don't know exactly why it is we sleep. (laughs) And so this kind of stuff just, I find so fascinating because you just, it's incredibly easy. It's like your body is designed in a way to not look at it like this. Like to turn the mind eye inward on yourself is just this impossible task of it's yeah it's just it's kind of the ultimate trick so uh anesthesia is where i i had some additional exposure to the notion of the black box where radiolab the uh NPR uh, show, long-running, fantastic scientific show. I loved, 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 loved. A lot of my years spent as a runner were just spent just chewing through their entire back catalog. Um, But their episodes on anesthesia in the black box, uh, basically, we know certain drugs put you under, and we can bring you back up with stimulants. We don't actually know why these things put you under. And even as bold-faced, bald-faced as aspirin, like it relieves pain, but we don't exactly know why. We know generally how the mechanism works on the brain, but as far as the sensation of pain, why that changes, why that is a different experience, then we haven't gotten that down yet, and it's been hundreds of years that we don't know what that is which just seems like the most basic medicine we have we don't know why it does what it does and so with anesthesia we're putting people out we're putting them into something that is different than a dream state or different than death and different than life it's this other thing you're just off and we don't know (laughs) we know how we don't know why and it's just it's spooky and terrifying so i mean that is kind of the best distillation of the black box of the mind that i can think of of that that will put people under and we don't know exactly why it is the brain shuts down in the way it does that is not as long as you're respirated and your blood is pumping properly and you're getting enough oxygen you're you know you continue on functioning so long as we can bring you back up but, man, it is some existential sleight of hand that is just, it's just horrifying and fascinating. And there's always, living in the Midwest here where it gets super, 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 super cold and you have the occasional uh, news headline of somebody wandering around outside in the sub-zero temperatures and sadly freezing to death on a front porch. It is possible here. That's, you know, walking outside can kill you. It's a fact of life here. Thankfully, only nine months out of the year as opposed to the entire year. But you will have tales of people falling through the ice in a lake or a river and it gets so cold that your body is put into basically suspended animation through the incredibly low temperature of the water which puts your body down to like 50 degrees and basically slows down the process that would be your brain starving of oxygen and dying instead you're just put in suspended animation or they're able to eventually revive you and resuscitate you but it's I mean, those are those are the freak stories. Those are the the ones that shouldn't happen. It's it's science trying to do it on purpose. That is the terrifying, like whoa, 
So you're telling me we don't necessarily know what the mechanism actually is, but we know that if we give you this cocktail of drugs, we'll put you out in a way that you don't remember the surgery. Um, it used to just be whiskey and bite down on this piece of wood, you know? So I'm glad that we've come that far on uh, the scientific aspect of it. Um, additionally, there was a... A documentary I saw on, uh, I know it was available on HBO for quite a while, it should still be up there, uh, about coma patients who are in their comas and then come back out of it, and how shocking and sad it was to see that it's not, and this shouldn't be a shocker, but that it's not like it is on TV, that it's, it's, some people, yes, do have the awakening moment of their eyes flutter open and they can kind of make semblance of the world around them and interact as who they once were. But for some people, it's they're just never there again, that they're somehow awake and alert, but not to the full cognitive functioning that they previously had, almost like they're kind of drugged or doped and don't seem to have full control over their faculties. And it was just really, uh, forgive the phrase, but a real eye-opening experience to see, oh, this is what could happen, that you could, you know, get into a car accident and be put into a coma and come back out of it and not, uh, not you know, never have any semblance of your normal life again, that you are just kind of this half-awake person who doesn't interact with the world in the same way that you used to, which it was another huge brick falling into place for my construct of how I understand the human mind to work of, oh, it... It's not just the lights coming back on, waking up from a dream, and here I am. Some people, that is the case. Very, very much documented to be the case. You know, I uh, the movie The Big Sick, which came out uh, two, three years ago, starring Camille Nanjiani, and, uh, written by him and his wife, Emily V. Gordon, uh, loved their podcast, The Indoor Kids, for a long time, and at different points in the podcast, Emily shared her experience of getting incredibly sick with a lifelong illness and going into a coma and coming back out of it, and the dreams that she had kind of interpreting life around her in the coma and how she understood life once she got out of it. It's a fantastic movie, but, I mean, just hearing her personal experience with that coma, it's, it's, again, we just, the mind is so, so fascinating. So I just... It's so impossible to turn this thing back in on itself to understand it. Like, from a biological's perspective, biologicals, from a biological's perspective, uh, from more of an animalistic view, looking back on it, you know, thinking about what I had said last episode about we didn't come down from the trees from this, that we just were the most paranoid monkeys that survived. You know, we were the ones that saw the things in the darkness. We saw the faces in the bushes. We were the ones that saw something where the other monkeys didn't see it. And they got eaten and we did. Or, no, <laughs> god damn it. I'm exhausted from the holidays. They got eaten. We didn't. We have this ingrained ability through evolution to recognize patterns where there potentially are none. That we have this very fine-tuned system that we think can be um, inherently neutral or not based in a bias of how we view the world, but it absolutely is. We're just looking for predators. We're just these hairless apes that 
are looking for faces in the darkness. You know, that's why we still see the shape of the Virgin Mary in a piece of toast, because our brains are hardwired to look for patterns and symbols and faces. It's, it's our hard-coded system to view the world is one that looks for a face. So we can't help but see what we are or what we're looking for in the abstract. And, you know, we look at the oldest imprints of artistic interpretation that we have in the world, you know, cavemen paintings, and looking at depictions of things we saw, of herds of animals or astrological events or even just our own hands etched on the walls. And you think, what were they trying to convey? You know, I, I laugh thinking about Pete Holmes on his podcast talking with uh, uh, Jenny Slate talking about um, <laughs> cavemen trying to describe, uh, you know, I can't I, I, I can't exactly tell you what it was. Let me draw you a picture. It was like a buffalo, but no, it wasn't quite that. Uh, you know, the idea that these creatures were trying to figure out how to express what it was that they were seeing in such a two-dimensional format. You know, the, the idea of caveman perspective is just so haunting and so beautiful. And it just, I, I think about how the mind has changed over millennia. And the the notion that with, I think it was the Iliad, and maybe I talked about this in another episode, I know that in the the telling of the story, it's indicative of how consciousness and intentionality were different things that we didn't really have the emergent consciousness that we have or like understand it the way that we do now in as recent as you know 2000 3000 years uh, bc that the notion of internal conversation or the internal thought process wasn't as nuanced that we didn't really come online until after that because the story portrays very much a uh, cause and effect this happened and they did this and then this happened and then did this and then after this happened they did this which led them to do this like it, there's no notion of um, internal conflict or a narrative or and, and I know it's based off of just the telling of a story which may be distilled to a very simplistic term to continue the the basic tale over the course of retelling and retelling and retelling but the way it kind of hints at without explicitly stating this is how the mind was working like it just the view that it's based off of 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 how interaction with the world works is just so wild to me and like i've talked about in recent episodes as well the uh terence mckenna's stoned ape theory that it, it somehow and, you know, based on essentially nothing but conjecture that uh, primitive man or, you know, humanoid uh, creatures interacting with wild chemicals and uh, mystical psychedelic substances that, that caused a chain reaction that led to consciousness as we know it now that do, you know, do other ancestral animals have that same level of consciousness like if we gave psychedelics to generations and generations of uh rhesus monkeys could we cause them to eventually come online the way that we do i don't know i'm i'm chasing my own tail here <laughs> this is so it's this this is what i'm talking about with consciousness and and death that it's not 
this is what I've taken an all episode to get to is that what I'm looking at trying to understand consciousness after death, I might be looking at this fundamentally wrong in that it's not something that, you know, like when you think about it from this angle, the, the radio tuner theory, you know, our, our minds and bodies being a, a broadcast tuner, picking up the right frequency of our consciousness throughout the cosmos. Maybe that's not it. And maybe this is all just bacon fat within our skulls trying to figure out the best way to just say, go eat something with a high fat and protein content before you get eaten by another animal. You know, what if this is just a severe, severe misinterpretation of what our biological history has made us do? And I certainly hope that's not the case, but it would be sure <laughs> one hell of a cosmic joke if that's what all of this is, is just a phenomenal extrapolation of watch out for big cats in the jungle and just eat something quick while you can and don't get sick and keep running before something else gets you. Because this is all, as past guest Kevin Hansen had said, if death is the great motivator, what if... <laughs> What if it's all based on a fundamental misunderstanding? It strikes me as very Douglas Adams, uh, one of my favorite authors who could make the most horrendous stuff inherently absurd before you had a chance to really process what he was writing. But I don't know. I don't want this to sound as defeatist as I, as I potentially could, but it, it's just it's how I'm trying to parse this all out that... I'm not going to take anything for granted that I, I want to really look at some real woo-woo, high strangeness, weirdness of what is the brain, what happens when we turn it off, but what if it's just, what if it's all a misunderstanding? So what if it's just, uh, for those old enough to remember, when you would turn off a cathode ray tube TV, you know, the old CRT TV that you could hear in another room if it was on, even if the volume was off, the light would kind of shrink back into itself into this little pinpoint dot and fade and fade and fade kind of on that same last residual image uh, and kind of soaked in and, you know, bled onto the screen. What if that's what consciousness is? What if it's just this thing that kind of doesn't really turn off, but just you have this infinitesimally reduced echo moment of that's the end, 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 and it just never stops. You know, what if it's just going on forever? And so I, nothing like a good old bit of existential dread for the holidays. Merry Christmas, you guys. No, this is, this is why I like digging into this stuff, because basically for the last week, it's all been, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And there's just, it's it's impossible to dig into this stuff. And, you know, certainly nobody else wants to talk about it in Pleasant Company. Uh, so it's, it's, it's weird stuff to unpack. So thank you for sitting with me while I do it. It's, it's an intense, uh, hard subject to wrap the head around. So if you've been able to follow me so far, drop me a line and say I'm not alone in this. If you're concerned, uh, drop a line and say you're concerned because uh, I'm not going to know unless you tell me. <laughs> so I don't I don't want this to be 
you know, the proverbial warning sign of something that, you know, if his listeners had really picked up on this and reported him to the authorities, we would have all avoided the horrible tragedy that befell the whole, like, <laughs> please let me know if this turns out to be Kevin Spacey's notebook in seven before it is anything. But, um, this is where my therapist would say I'm being too hard on myself. Uh, so, no, what I'm saying is I, I don't want to take anything for granted, and I want to try to turn the investigation tools that our brains give us, this big, powerful, weird biological computer we have, how do you make it look at itself? And that's kind of the ultimate riddle here. So I'm going to continue digging into consciousness and death, but I felt it was worth getting into a real sideways look for a second, or you know, kind of a recursive look of a dog chasing its own tail, just to make sure... You know, is this thing on? <laughs> so thank you for listening. I'll talk to you guys next week.